2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse number 1. We're going to read uh, the first 11 verses there. The Bible says, And it came to pass after this. Saul is dead. David has mourned him. They've received word of that. They're They're still in Ziklag. The Bible says, That David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither. And his two wives also, Ahinahim the Jezreelitess, and Abigail Nabal's wife, the Carmelite, and his men that were with him, did David bring up every man with his household. And they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. Now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. But Abner the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahananim, and made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Let's, um, the title tonight is A Restart for God. A Restart for God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you once again. Lord, we just ask for your help. We ask that you would speak through your word. I pray that you would just bless. Um, bless the service. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us from your word. Pray for strength, Lord, to preach your word in a way that would be pleasing to you, in a way that your word would speak to hearts. Lord, I pray for help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you ever wish that life had a restart button? When your computer's not working right, when things aren't going, you hit the restart button and it just kind of refreshes everything. I, I, I personally believe, it's, I'm not dogmatic about it, but one of the problems that we have in our society today is so many uh, People who are adults now, as children, got used to, when it didn't go their way, they just hit the reset button and they started the game over again. And they just started, and when it didn't go their way, they started the game over again. They started the game over again. They started the game over again. And they're not used to, no, wait a second, there's consequences. This is real. No, you could just, and if it doesn't work, you crash the game and, you know, there's, there's ways to uh, get around it. It's not working the way you want it to do. But it, it would be nice. If life had a restart button, man, today did not start out good, right? Um, let me just, can I, can I clock it back a couple hours? Let's get up uh, the time I'm supposed to. Let's not oversleep my alarm and let's, uh, 
right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could do that? But that's not the way life works. We can't go back and undo what's been done. We cannot remove the consequences of decisions we've made. But, thank God that God is a God of second chances. And while we can't, life doesn't have a restart button, we can do this. We can, uh, God wants us to get back on track. God wants to give us a second chance. When we've messed things up, when we've gotten out of where we need to be, God says, if you'll come back to me, I want to give you a fresh start. Not a restart, but a fresh start with God. To get things back, uh, you, even if you've gotten off track, if you're still breathing, God still wants you to serve Him. God still wants you to work. And while we can't undo all the consequences that have been there, God wants us to get back on track. That's where David and the nation of Israel is in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Um, they're both need of a fresh start. Okay, let's look at uh, the nation of Israel real quick. Just a little bit of review. Uh, the Saul experiment, um, a king like all the other nations, uh, pardon the pun, has failed royally. Um, it, it hasn't gone the way that it needs to, the way that they thought it would, right? They, they, said, they came to Samuel and said, we want a king like all the other nations. We want a, a, a leader that we can see. We're tired of following a God we can't see physically. What we really need is a, is a king like all the other nations. Saul, their first king, was head and shoulders taller than all the other people of Israel. And the end of his reign, he fell on his own sword in suicide. You, you talk about going from the height to the depth. You talk about uh, where pride will bring you. Pride will bring you low. And, and now they had had their king, but now the Philistines, because of the battle they won at Mount Goboa, um, large tracts of the land of Israel are now under Philip, uh, Philistine control. Uh, they tell us, uh, the Bible tells us that even some of the Jewish settlers that were there on the Philistine border had uh, left their homes, left the inheritance that God had given them, and they traveled east across the Jordan River, um, giving up their lands to the Philistines. <coughs> Pardon me. The armies of Israel are now in shambles, uh, they've had many casualties. They've lost their numerical strength. Uh, their leadership is destroyed. They're scattered. Uh, their morale is very low. The, the protection isn't there the way it could be. Also this, there's very little spiritual leadership in Israel. Remember, years before, Saul had executed the priest. Uh, who the high priest was now was hiding with David. In exile in the land of the Philistines, there was not the spiritual leadership that should have been there. Israel had forsaken God for an earthly king, for a solution they could see, but it hadn't solved anything. It wasn't the answer to their problems. The answer to their problems was their relationship with God. And yet they said, if we could have a king, this is going to work. But if we look at the nation of Israel from where they were to where they are now with Saul, nothing has really changed. The needle has not moved at all um, in a good direction. If anything, it's come down a little bit. There's um, um, just destruction. There's uh, turmoil. There is a leadership vacuum now in the nation of Israel. They need some help. The, the, we would say this, they need a fresh start with God. They need to get back on track. But how about David? 
David, he was a national hero as a young boy. He had killed the Philistine uh, giant Goliath. But he had gotten himself into a pretty messy situation when he had stopped following God's wisdom. When he himself had sought to solve his problems instead of serve God. He had uh, made a decision to take care of his Saul problem. I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines. I'm going to go and I'm going to find safety. He found safety with the enemies of God's people and with those who were responsible for Saul's death. I mean, Saul had killed himself, but he had been uh, wounded there in the battle with the Philistines. Saul had already publicly denounced David as a traitor, as a threat to his throne, right? All the years that Saul was chasing him, if they had wanted posters back up uh, then, uh, David wanted posters would have been all over the land of Israel. Uh, Saul was announcing him as a traitor, and news had reached Saul that David was in Gath. Right? The word came to Saul that David was in Gath. Saul did not seek him anymore. But if word got back to Saul, then this wasn't ultra-top secret information. Don't you think Saul would have been very happy to uh, proliferate that information that, yeah, David's over in Gath. He's over hiding uh, real help of the people he is, right? Real, uh, you really want him to be your next king, right? All of this is a black mark on the testimony of David. Now, Saul's slander was not David's fault, but being in the land of the Philistines was in some of the situations that were there. And when we reach 2 Samuel chapter 2, David is still in the land of the Philistines. He's still in Ziklag. He's dealt with the Amalekites. He's come back to the city. There's the ashes that are around him. But as there's a leadership vacuum in the land of Israel, David is still in the land of the Philistines. He's not been walking with God as he should have for the past 16 months. Right? It was a year and four months that he was there in the land of the Philistines. And he was living more like a Philistine than he was a, a, a man of God. And he was uh, taking some of their practices and uh, behaving much more like a Philistine with the way he was uh, being cruel and the way he wasn't, uh, he was serving himself. God had been very merciful to David. We dealt with that. That when, God, when David prayed to God, God answered him and God didn't leave him alone. But there's still this, we would say this way maybe, there's a really bad taste in David's mouth. Um, this, this, he knows he's not where he's supposed to be. He can look at his life for the past 16 months and there's a lot of Philistine stench that is still in his life. That his clothes still smell like Philistine, his, his um, you know, there's just stuff that's there that's not good. And he's not where he needs to be. He's not where he's supposed to be. There's a desperate need for godly leadership in Israel. There's a desperate need for David to get back on track with God because David is God's appointed leader for Israel. So how does David get back on track? How does David get back to where he needs to be? Isn't that a good question? How many times in our lives have we realized, wait a second, um, I didn't realize it's been that long since I read my Bible. I didn't realize it's been that long since I've really prayed. 
I, I, I didn't realize it's been that long since I've witnessed that person. I didn't realize it's been that long, right? And we begin, and we begin looking at our lives and like, man, it's been, I'm not where I need to be. How did David get back on track? Well, it says there in verse number one, it came to pass, David inquired of the Lord. David began his path back to seeking, and back, he began his path forward by seeking and obeying clear leadership and direction from the God he served. Okay, we have to understand this. David knew that God had a plan for his life. And therefore, if God had a plan for David's life, then God had the answers for the plan for David's life. Do, do we understand uh, the, the reasoning that is there? If, if David was going to serve God, he needed to do God's plan. And if he was going to do God's plan, then he needed to go to God to get the leadership, to get the direction to fulfill God's plan. It's very simple, but sometimes, well, I, what do I need to do? Wait a second. God does have a plan for our lives, and there's direction. The direction that we need for that can only come from God. God had commanded Samuel, uh, the prophet, to anoint David to be the next king over Israel. And God had protected David up to this point, despite David's failures. Aren't you glad that God doesn't call us because we're perfect? The, great, the, the greatest uh, ability is availability. That um, God, What God is not looking for is perfection, but he's looking for someone who's willing, someone who's humble, ready to be used. And David failed, but God said, I'll still use you if you'll serve me. And God's plan was still for David to be king and to be a king after God's own heart. That was still God's plan. For David to be a king that would shepherd the people of Israel, that would lead them forward. David didn't know how that was going to work out. He didn't know that Saul was gone. Okay? The obvious roadblock has been removed. Right? The thing that has been keeping David from being the king over Israel for the past 10 to 15 years is gone. Saul is out of the way. But David, though he knew God's will for him was to eventually be the king over all Israel, David didn't know how that was going to work. David knew God had a plan for him, so he goes to God and says, God, what do you want me to do? He knew that it was his responsibility to obey and to follow God's will. Since it was God's will, God knew the way forward a lot better than David did. And so David inquired of the Lord for his will for today, for the, the, for the next step that David could take. David asked Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Okay, shall I go up? Shall I travel? Shall I uh, leave the land of the Philistines and shall I return back to the land of Judah? God says, gives them a command. Go up. David asked, whither shall I go up? Okay, Lord, you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? That's a good question, right? Okay, do you want me to go? Yes. Where would you like me to go? Hebron. Okay, God gave him the answer. A man after God's own heart is someone who asks for God's leadership before he makes his plans. Sometimes we make our plans and then ask for God's leadership to see if God kind of agrees with us. Uh, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Lord, 
What wilt thou have me to do? Lord, what direction do you want me to do? God knew what the future held and gave, answer, gave David the answers that he needed. So David inquired of the Lord. By the way, that's always the first step to getting back on track. Lord, what do you want me to do right now? David received the direction and the leadership from the Lord. Verse number two, so David went up thither. You know what David did? He obeyed. It's real complicated. But it's real important. He sought God's leadership. And he obeyed. And here's what, notice this. He says, he went up thither with his, and his two wives, and it says, his men that were with him did David bring up every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Why is it making such a big deal about David and his two wives, and David and his men and his households? Here's what, here's what the author is emphasizing for us. David's making a clean cut with Ziklag. He's leaving nothing behind. David is done with the land of the Philistines. God has told me to go up thither. I am not leaving anything behind. I don't have an emergency bailout plan. Um, in case it doesn't go exactly the way I want it to go, I'm obeying God. I am all in. I'm going to do what God has commanded me to do. No reservations. I'm following God. And he, he and his men went up and dwelt at Hebron. We don't know how long they dwelt. It says they dwelt there in the cities of Hebron. At the end of verse number 3. We don't know how long David lived there and waited. Remember, there's a vacuum of leadership in the land of Israel. But David did not arrive wearing Saul's crown that he had. He had Saul's crown. David did not arrive with his men blowing trumpets. The king of Israel has arrived. David went up to Hebron, and he settled down, and he lived like an ordinary person. We don't know how long, but he didn't go up pronouncing himself to be king, crowning himself king. He went up and he waited on God. He obeyed God's leadership and he waited. Sometimes we're facing a situation and you may think there's no way forward. But the God in heaven has a will for your life he knows the way forward for you. And restarting with God, getting back on track, means getting back on His agenda. When we're on our agenda, that's when we get off track. That's when we get into the land of the Philistines. That's when we get out of God's will. But to get back serving God, when, we, when we're not where we need to be, it starts with getting back on God's agenda. That's why the Bible says, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Seek the leadership of God. I don't know everything that someone's, each person's facing in here, but I know this, God has a will for your life. And since God has a will for your life, He has the direction that you need. He has the instructions that you need, and God is not going to speak in audible words to us, but God does speak through His Word. God has promised in the New Testament, just, not just in the Old Testament, God has promised that He will give wisdom to those that ask him, what does James 1 say? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, that means abundantly, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. 
But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Ask in faith, come to the Lord, say, Lord, I know that you have the wisdom that I need. Lord, will you give me the wisdom? And God's not going to go, man, how stupid do you have to be? No, God says he, he wants to give us wisdom. We just must seek him of that. By the way, we need to understand this. God's wisdom is not a bird's eye picture of everything that's going on. Okay, God, when God gives us wisdom, it's not explaining the why of what's going on. It's not giving us a complete picture of everything that we see where we get uh, the observation deck. God's wisdom is the ability to deal with the current problem in a godly manner. Okay, uh, Mr. Berg in his book, Changed Into His Image, that we're going through in Sunday School, gives this illustration. It's not having the helicoptered view of the traffic situation and knowing where the accident is. The wisdom of God is knowing how to apply the brakes so you don't run through the trunk of the car and you don't rear end the car in front of you. God's wisdom is knowing how when you have the flat tire to get safely to the, the shoulder of the road so you don't endanger yourself or those that are with you in the car. The wisdom of God is the ability to deal with here and now in a way that keeps you useful to God. That's the wisdom that God gives us. How do you deal with this person? Well, I don't know what it's going to be down the road, but this is what I need to say or not say right now. This is how I need to act. This is the uh, priorities I need to have right now. You need to have God's leadership, but you need to obey it. That's where we mess up. Most of the time, our failures is not a... Is not a information failure, it's an application failure. It, it's, it's not that we don't know what we probably should be doing, it's that we're not applying what we should be doing. By the way, God's will is not an option. It's our reasonable service. It's, it's not, well, I wonder what uh, God's will, oh, that's nice. No, the Bible says, therefore him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, it is sin that once we know God's directions, we either have a choice, obedience or rebellion. And, but if we want to get back on track, if we want to get where God wants us to be, we need to get on God's agenda, which means seeking His wisdom and then, letting, uh, then obeying the wisdom that God has for us. But not only did David do what was right, right? He, he inquired of the Lord, he obeyed the wisdom that God gave him, David displayed a right spirit. It's not only important that we obey God and we try to move forward. It's, it's vitally important that we do it with the right spirit, with the spirit of humility. Think about this. Upon arriving in Hebron, the men of Judah come and they crown David king. Okay? Right? That's exciting. This wasn't David doing this to himself. This was the men of Judah that came and said, David, you're one of us. David, we respect you. We need leadership. We want you to be the king over, Israel, king over Judah. One tribe out of 12. Okay? This was the next step to being the king over Israel as God has promised. But this was a far inferior position to being king over all Israel, okay? David, we know you want to be the president of the United States and you're supposed to, but will you just be the governor? 
of Utah, Tennessee. You know, I'm just saying, you know, something that uh, Judah was a well-known, Judah was a uh, well-respected, one of the more powerful tribes it was. But it wasn't the king, it wasn't king over all Israel. But David says, if that's what we need, that's what I'll do. He humbly, he was willing to say, I'm, I'm willing to do what is necessary because this isn't about me. This is about helping the people of God. By the way, David would remain the king over Judah alone for the next seven and a half years. That's what it says, seven, seven years and six months. He would, he would not become the king over, over all Israel for another seven and a half years. Um, so he had to accept that position with humility. Then this. The newly crowned, let's call him this, the mini-king, all right? The newly crowned uh, mini-king over Judah was told the story of the men of Jabesh-Gilead, all right? The men of Jabesh-Gilead, that town was located on the other side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan River, 80 miles uh, north. It was somewhat close to where the Battle of Gilboa had, had taken place. In Saul's early reign, Saul had helped the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead, and he had rescued them. There was an Ammonite king that had come and had surrounded them, attacked them. Saul had raised the army of Israel, come and delivered them. And the men of Jabesh-Gilead had never forgotten that. They had stayed loyal to Saul despite all of Saul's problems. Saul's our leader. He's the king. We're going to stay loyal to him, just like David had. And the men of Jabesh-Gilead, David heard that they had gone to help Saul. Saul and his sons had been killed in battle, and the inhabitants of the Philistine soldiers had taken their bodies. They had mutilated them. A lot of what's going on today is the same thing. You know where the land of the Philistines is? Gaza was one of the main cities of the Philistines. Same thing that's going on today was going on thousands of years ago. And what they were doing was just as godless as what is going, just as vile as what is going on today. They, they were mutilating the bodies of Saul and his sons to dishonor them in every way possible. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead said, no, that's our leader. That isn't right. We're not going to let that be done. And so they got their men together. They went by night. Um, they rescued and uh, properly buried uh, the bodies of Saul and David, they were being faithful to Saul despite his obvious shortcomings. And instead of trying to throw his weight around, David goes, well, you got to understand, I'm the king of Judah. You guys need to come here and start following me. David sends a message to Jabesh Gilead saying, what you did was good, what you did was honorable, that was right, God's going to bless you for that, and I want to bless you for that. What, here's what David's doing. He's demonstrating that even though Saul had done so much against him, he had nothing against Saul. You know what that takes? Humility. That This isn't about me. Um, you were doing right in honoring Saul, which they were. And he was showing honor to the, to the one who had been the king over Israel. He was, it wasn't about David or his wrongs. It was about the people of God. And he was, he was saying, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself. I'm going to lower myself because it's not about me. It's not about my position. It's about serving and helping people. And so not only did David seek and obey God's leadership, 
but he was doing it with the right spirit, right? He was doing it with humility. He was doing things in a right manner. I wish that as soon as you obeyed God's direction, and especially if you obeyed it with a right spirit, the next phrase in the Bible or the next phrase in our life would be, and they lived happily ever after. Isn't that the, isn't that the fairy tales that uh, they fight this battle, they kill the dragon, and the princess marries the prince, and then they live happily ever after? Until they got back from their honeymoon. Until the first bills came, right? That's not real life. There's, there's no such thing as happily ever after. That, ha- that is not the case. It has never been the case. It is not reality. Because as soon as David, even though he's doing right, he gets to Hebron, he gets the king within the next couple years there, David found that new opportunities presented new problems. Because Abner, the cousin of Saul, the captain of Saul's army, takes Saul's son and makes him king over all Israel. Isn't that what we read? Abner took Ishbosheth and made him king over Israel. Abner was the head of Saul's army. He was Saul's cousin. He was a man that wielded a great level of influence, a great level of political clout. This is my thought. Why wasn't Abner with Saul when Saul died? If Saul, if Abner is Saul's general and is supposed to be his leader, shouldn't they have been together? Shouldn't Abner have been fighting by Saul's side and protecting him? And maybe he could have helped Saul get away so that he could have died in peace and, and, and not been exposed to the humiliation and the dishonor the Philistines did to him. I think that may speak more of Abner's character than some of the other things, that this was not a very nice guy. By the way, Abner was participating in the hunt for David when David snuck into the camp when Saul was sleeping. Who did he call out to? Abner! Abner was right there. I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, but I would have to say he was one of the ones whispering in Saul's ear keeping the animosity going, keeping the thing going. He's a man of intrigue. He's a man of trying to keep that going. He was interested in Abner. Abner was there when Saul called out, I know you're going to be the next king of Israel. Will you take care of my family? And David goes, yes. He heard that. And Abner goes, here's my opportunity. Forget about what I know God's will is. Forget about what God's plans is. I'm going to make a king that I can control. I'm going to make a king that's going to listen to me and do what I tell him to do. He found the surviving son of Saul. Apparently, he was the de facto man who was left behind in case everyone got killed in battle or something like that. Uh, We don't know exactly. He gets him. You're going to be the king of Israel. Okay. I'm sure David had been praying for an easy transition, but now there's trouble again. He got rid of Saul, or God got rid of Saul. The way the path is forward, here's Ishbosheth. It's not happily lived ever. It's not lived happily ever after. New opportunities mean new problems. David's going to have to wait. Ishbosheth is going to be the king over Israel for two years. 
And so sometime in that seven and a half years, David's going to have to wait seven and a half years, and two of that, he's facing a rival king, Ishbosheth. Sometimes the hardest part of getting back on track is the patience it takes. You're like, I, I want to serve God, but then this comes up. And I want to serve God, and then this comes up. And I want to serve God, and... That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, for ye have need of patience. After that ye have done the will of God, that ye might receive the promise. The next couple of verses says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. That there, the idea is there, hey, you have need of patience. Don't give up. Keep going. Yes, you may be doing the right thing, but that doesn't mean the harvest is going to come in instantly. Not only did David have to um, um, obey God's will and obey it with the right spirit, he had to be patient and wait and wait and wait till God made it possible. But David, at this point, is right exactly where he needs to be. There's this, sometimes we get this idea. Well, if I'm just exactly where God wants me to be, it's going to be smooth sailing. And if I was just had the right spirit and I just prayed hard enough, everything's going to open up and everything's going to be perfect. That's never the case. It's, but we need to be where God wants us to be. We need to be submitted to the plan of God. We need to be humbly serving God but we must be patiently serving God. See, you and I can struggle with starting over after past failures, facing an uncertain future. But see, God has the answers. And moving forward with God requires obedience, humility, and patience. Requires obedience, humility, and patience. I've participated in a lot of different construction projects on churches. One of the biggest problems is that you have to deal with what's already there. It's not just a new construction and you have a nice clean wall and you put up the studs and you put up the sheetrock and you no no, you got to deal with the rotten studs and you got to take those out and fix those and the mold that's there just so you can get started and then nothing fits the way it's supposed to be because you're having to deal with what's there. That's a very true to life. There's a lot of cliche answers, even biblical answers, okay? And, but you look at your life and you go, that just doesn't fit. This thing is here where it wasn't supposed to be because um, maybe I didn't get saved till later in life and there's some problems that are there or maybe um, just different things. There's just my family situation and there are other things that are there and it just doesn't seem like things fit and how am I going to get there? Wait a second. Our responsibility is to live out God's plans for our life. That's our responsibility. Our, we need to live out God's agenda, not ours. So we must seek and obey His instructions. Okay? If you've been saved by the grace of God, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. We belong to Him. Our greatest problems come in this life when we stop doing the Father's business and start and get busy with our lives no, it's His. Get busy with our plans. No, we need to be about His plans. With our problems, well, if we're following His plans, our problems are His problems and He's going to take care of them. When we get focused on this, 
That's where we get in trouble. But when we get focused on him and trying to serve him, he's going to give us his will. God has given us in his word. The first step of serving the Lord is salvation. And the next step is sanctification. That's getting right and that's getting clean before the Lord. And then there's service. Doing the will of the Father and being the witness and serving others that are around us. And there's going to be times that we get off track. Just look at the disciples. Just look at David. Sometimes it's our own pride that we go, man, I can't believe I did that. Wait a second. God can. He knows that we're dust. He knows our frame that we are, um, we're not as good as we think we are. We like to think of ourselves much more highly than we should. That's why the Bible says, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He did the Father's will. That's what God has for us, is not to think of ourselves, but to get back on track. Here's the question. What is God's will Today, a good question to ask with every decision is this. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? This is what I really want to say. What does the Bible say? This is what I want to do. What does the Bible say? What has God told me to do? By the way, the answer to both of those questions will agree with each other. What God has told me to do, what the Bible says, is going to agree with each other. And if it doesn't, we have the wrong answer to one of those questions. Okay, that's a good, that's a good balance there. And, but you can't know without asking God, praying, God, would you help me to do that? Getting back on track always requires obedience. Seeking God's leadership and obeying what God has said. You can't undo the past. That's not what God is telling you to do. Okay, that's why you can't catch up on all your Bible reading, but you can start tonight. You, you can't catch up on the time you've missed prayer, but you can start tonight. Uh, God, God can forgive the past, but we, if we're going to get back on track, we have to obey God. We have to obey God with a spirit of humility. Spirit of humility. And uh, a passage that I love is James chapter 4, verses 10 through verse number 16, where the Bible says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And then it goes, Speak not evil of one another, brethren. And it begins going through dealing with people. And then at the end, it says, um, um, Go to now, ye say, today or tomorrow, we shall go into such a city and continue there a year, or buy or sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You know what James is emphasizing there? It's all under, the, all under the principle of humble yourselves in the sight of God. You know two areas that we struggle with humbling ourselves to God the most? Our response to others and our plans for the future. That, that's what the, I encourage you, we don't have time tonight, but I encourage you, go back and read the end of James chapter 4. He's saying, no, 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 we need to ask God, what do you want me to do for tomorrow? No, we don't need to speak evil one of another. We, we're not the lawgiver. God is the lawgiver. We need to be humble in our dealings with our fellow Christians. Not have pride. We need to be humble in our plans for tomorrow. Because what is our life? 
It is even a vapor. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. God does. And so uh, dealing with people, dealing with problems, dealing with the future, it needs to be, Lord, help me to obey you in the right spirit. Help me to obey you in humility and with patience. You and I can struggle with starting over, getting back on track. Man, I got in a mess. Wait a second. Moving forward with God requires obedience, requires humility, and it requires patience. Don't give up on God. He's not going to work. His time schedule is not our time schedule. And it's not because God is late. It's because God is working. Right? That let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. That oftentimes God makes us wait because he's building us and preparing us and making us more dependent upon him. And when we take the shortcut, when we say, I've been in this long enough, we get back off track again. Then we got to come back around and we got to start the process over again. Sometimes that's how we live life. I'm going to obey. I'm going to be humble. I can't wait this long. Back around. But God is the God of second chances. And when we obey God in humility and we wait on God, it's amazing what God can do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and just thank you for your word. I thank you for your patience with us. Pray that you'd help us to follow and to obey you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll take a moment. Just pray there at our seats. We need to come forward and pray. Let's ask the Lord to, to help us tonight.